fitness, nutrition, sleep, longevity, performance, fat loss, and all the keys to a life of health, happiness, and success. I'm Jed Zimmer, your host, and welcome to The Health Project. Welcome back. We've got episode 51 tonight of The Health Project, and one I've I've been thinking about for a few weeks now, one I'm very, very excited to to bring to you guys. It's it's one that a lot of you will draw a lot of inspiration from, a lot of knowledge, um, and it is one that, that it might it might hit home for a few of you listeners out there. It might be a topic that is quite sensitive, so I do want to mention that right at the start. But um, nonetheless, it's it's one that I I encourage everyone to to try and listen to if possible because you can really draw some incredible inspiration from this one. So. I've got Alana McGregor joining me today. Um, Alana is someone that I've only got to know very recently, um, which I'm very proud to. Well, first of all, I'm very humbled that I'm able to have this conversation with her, but also more excited that I'm going to be able to work with Alana very closely this year after um, after an exciting announcement for the both of us that we, um, we've been, recently been announced citizen and young citizen of the year here in Bendigo. Um, so as I said, I'm super excited to be able to work alongside Alana this year. So without further ado, Alana, welcome to the Health Project. Thanks, Jed, and I'm looking forward to working with you too. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's very exciting. And I think as we've both said to each other quite a few times, um, it's work that is so valuable and re- relevant. So I think we can sort of... Um, combine forces a little bit this year. It's been a bit of a dream team, I think. It'll be good. Sounds good. Well, do you want to tell us a little bit about um, a little bit about your your story, Alana? It's one that oh, I'm still learning a fair bit about, um, but it's one that I think a lot of people do need to hear um, for, for a few reasons because it is a very sensitive topic. And as we spoke about before this podcast started, it's, it's a topic that um, – conversations around it generally try and get avoided um and that's where you've been incredible towards breaking that um so if you don't mind um you're blessed to have three beautiful children could you give us a bit of a little bit of a rundown about all three of them yes uh Stuart was the oldest he was born in 1981 so he would have turned 40 this year Stewie was really popular with his peers and got on really well with older people too he played sport and was pretty good at all sports. Played piano, picked up music really quickly and just had a beautiful note. Um, he was a really sensitive kid. He always believed that if you do the right thing by somebody, then they would do the right thing by you. And I think that was probably the one thing that he couldn't get his head around. Yeah. And then so there was Stuart and then Angela. Stacy was Stacey the was next, next child. Yep. Yeah, Stacy was born with a chromosome missing, and mm-hmm. she was always sick. She was always having trouble with schooling and needed a lot of help. Stuart and our youngest Angela were both very protective of her and mm-hmm. helped her at school and helped her with friendships. And if anybody picked on her, they were both very quick to stand in and make sure that didn't happen again. Yeah, uh, Stacy's now thirty seven and enjoying her life she's taken a long time to get over the deaths of her brother and sister and she's starting to get to a place where she can put that in her mind in a different light rather than the pain I think she's starting to see Mm. what they were like and remember things Mm. I'll talk about that a bit later that's been really difficult for Stace and then our youngest Angela was um 
16 when she died. She would now be 35. And was the cheeky one. She was the one that everybody laughed at until one day they said, it's not funny, she's cheeky, <laughs> which she really found confusing. She, one day she's doing all these funny things and everybody's giggling at her and the next thing they're yelling at her. Mm. She, she was always in trouble at school but not bad trouble. Like I'd get phone calls because, oh, good morning, Alana. I saw Angela and Stacey walking to school today and Angela was running ahead. <laughs> Isn't it funny that you always say it's the youngest, generally the youngest has yeah. got a bit of cheek and rascal in them. Definitely. So there was lots of eye rolling when I'd go to school to pick her up because it would be something really trivial but always got told what she'd done. Yeah. And was strong. She was very um, very strong in herself but also very strong in looking after her brother when things went bad for Stu. She stood up for him against people. She had a very, very strong sense of right and wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and was the one that I always thought would be the survivor. Stace was sick, so there was always that we're not sure whether she would survive. And Stuart, once he became unwell, there was a definite, this might not be a good ending, but Ange was, we just thought she'd be okay. Mm, yeah. Now, I'd, I had the privilege to meet Stacey last week at the Australian mm. Day Ceremony, and the very first thing that stood out to me was how proud she is to be your daughter. Um which I think everyone's going to gain a, a fair bit of an understanding. Those that don't have that understanding already um, from a conversation like this, but all throughout the year too. Do you mind? Um, so you spoke about a few struggles there. Um, we'll start with Stuart. So looking back now, was there was there a time where it became evident that, that he was struggling a little bit? Definitely. Stuart was um, an apprentice chef at a local place and he was 17 and three months the day he started mm-hmm. and within a week he was my latest week yeah go by all means he yep. was asked to go to a long weekend camping holiday mm-hmm. and he came home all excited oh the guys have invited me to this camping trip can i go because he wasn't 18 and he still thought he had to ask permission even though he was working <laughs> um He's just doing the right thing. <laughs> he was very good at always doing the right thing. So, yeah, of course you can go to do if that's what you want to do. About three or four weeks later, it was coming up to that long weekend and we said, you haven't spoken about it. Are you still going to go? And he never really told us anything. But after maybe six months in that workplace, we'd found out that he had been bullied mm. quite quite traumatically bullied really badly. Um, it started with innuendos of a sexual nature. He um, he was made to do jobs that were really demeaning, made fun of. The workplace had a thing where they had a an employee, employer of the week and that person would be given a little gift and this particular day the whispers were, Stu's going to get it. So he rang me at home and said, oh, I'm going to get the employer of the week this week. And he was so excited because it hadn't been a good workplace. Mm-hmm. And he thought, well, you know, maybe things are starting to improve. Anyway, he came home that night and he was so angry. Somebody had broken into his car and taken the um, the gear knob off. He, he was a Scorpio, so mm-hmm. he bought a gear knob that had a scorpion on on it and they'd taken that off wrapped it up and given it to him for the award joke 
day and it was just a big, you know, we've got you and made fun of him and he was so upset about it and just couldn't understand why they would do that and put him down like that. So he started to tell us that there was bullying. He started to tell us that he was made to do things he didn't feel that he should be doing. Um, at first, Ray and I told him that you're an apprentice. You have mm. to put up with a little bit of that crap. And that's just, a, just jumping in. So Ray's your husband? Yes. Yeah, yep. yeah. That's one of the things that we we still find hard. We, um, we've worked through it, but it's hard to not feel guilty about telling him that you had to put up with that sort of stuff. Mm. We didn't know the extent of it until after he died when we read the work cover reports, mm. but Angela did. Yep. Stuart and Angela were very, very close and he had confided in her that things had happened to him that um, he hadn't told us. Were you aware of that at the time that they had that sort of I knew they were close, but yep. we didn't really realise what was going on with Stuart and I think that he felt that we wouldn't understand or we would tell him to put up with it yep. after we had that first time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it, the um, camping trip, when we did find out about it, at, um, when we read the work cover reports, he had been told that if he turns up at the camping trip, you might get blood up your ass and grass on your knees. And he sort of <laughs> laughed it off thinking that's a bit of a joke mm. and the guy came up behind him and pushed him against the freezer and bent over him and he Horrible. was terrified. Yeah. He was really worried that perhaps it's not a joke. And mm. So there was lots of things of that nature that had happened to him. Mm. There was typical workplace type things where he was made to make sandwiches, go and make five loaves of sandwiches. We want half white and half brown. So... By this stage, he was quite wary, and he said to them, do you want the white altogether or do you want half white and half brown? Because he knew that no matter which way he did it, yep. this guy would take the Big crap out of it. Yep. So he put the white slice on and filling and then the white slice on, and, of course, he got in trouble. We told you to put white brown. Mm. Things like that that just dug away at his self-esteem all the time. Which to, to me and well, to a lot of us, it's just the question i'll ask is why and it's it's, it's frustrating to even think about um, it was workplace culture yeah it was that's what they did to the newbie and this i think the saddest thing alana i obviously have never um you know seen firsthand anything to that extent or i'm lucky enough that i haven't even heard too much of it but i do know um you know, from experience uh i have seen to to a lesser degree as i said it still is a thing in workplaces um i know there's i'm not going to put any um, places under the bus here but there's places that I've been involved with where I have seen this the the newer staff members whether it's an apprentice or even just someone coming in um whereas they they are sort of you know t not so much it might not be hazy. bullying yeah yeah I agree hazy um whereas I think it should be the opposite they should be the one who are nurtured um because they are coming in with a sense of nervousness and so forth yeah. So it should be complete opposite, I think. And young kids coming straight from school where everything's done for you, you've got so much assistance with everything yep. into a workplace where this culture has been going on for so long. Mm. It must have been horrible for him. And then to think that mum and dad didn't believe me, that yeah, that really tears it, both of us. So how long was this going on for Stuart? Uh, he went on work cover. Well, first of all, he went on sick leave probably 14 months into the apprenticeship. Mm-hmm. 
He then went on work cover. There was lots of investigations internally, which found that his claim had been substantiated, but nothing happened. The bully was actually paid to leave, which Stuart saw as they paid him to do this to me. Mm. And that was probably when we first started to think that his mental health was so bad he might take his life. Yeah. And the bullying was bad, but it was the the length of the investigation. It was the everybody promised to help, but nobody did. Mm -hmm. All those letdowns when he'd done nothing wrong and he was led to feel that it was all his fault. Mm -hmm. would you, so would you say that it was just a sequence of he probably felt it was let down after let down? Definitely. That when was that going to, when was this going to end? It wasn't going to end. He he went to counselling through the workplace. Mm -hmm. and this is 20 years ago I'm talking about. So at that stage you got two free and then you had to pay for yourself. Well, he was an apprentice who was on sick leave so he didn't have the money to pay for himself. Then he went to TAFE because he was an apprentice and they had a few sessions there and the same thing. Well, you're no longer working, you're no longer an apprentice, you can't get counselling here. Mm -hmm. By that stage he'd got onto marijuana and met his girlfriend. And he um, saw Mick Turner from YSAS. Yep. Mick Turner up. I've put him way up the top of my level of. I can see it in the. I can see it in your face right now. Yep. He is just the best guy. He left work. Um, where did I say it was? YSAS. Yep. He left YSAS but continued to see Stu at home mm. in his own time without charging. Yep. Yep. So that was right up until the week before Stu died. So he was 20 and 11 or 10, 10 and a half months when he died. Mm -hmm. What had happened was WorkCover had finally done an investigation. We're getting two and a half years into when it first started and when he'd been on WorkCover. So it was a very long process and he... He became mentally unwell. He got onto marijuana, which was worse for him. He was given medication that was probably way too much for him and self-medicated with that as well. Mm -hmm. um, he and his girlfriend were both really bad for each other. They were both trying to fix somebody else because they couldn't fix themselves. Yeah. And um, not a good relationship, but that's just the way things happen. Mm -hmm. So... Like I said earlier, he had been talking to Angela about mm -hmm. it and Stu changed. He went from the lovely, fun, just adorable guy who everybody really loved being around and talking to, to someone who would lay in his bed sometimes in a fetal position crying. One day he told he came out of his bedroom dressed in his chef's uniform and he had his chef's knives wrapped in in a canvas bag. He hadn't worked for well over 12 months and I looked at him and thought, what are you doing, Stuart? Going to work. And he just had something in his eyes. I, I found out later it was a psychotic break that he'd had, but mm -hmm. he just looked not right. So I rang Mick Turner who went up to his workplace and it was after hours, so there weren't staff there. And Mick talked to him and found him. He had intended to take his life there so that when they came to work the next day, they would see what they had done to him. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So WorkCover did their investigation. It took maybe 
four or five months and then they gave us a phone call in June, July and said that they had finished, it would take about four or five weeks and they would get back to us with whether or not they had enough information to take it to court. Mm -hmm. Angela died a week and a half after that and had had an argument with a girl at school and we absolutely do not blame that girl. It was mm-hmm. it was just the camel back type yep. of thing. But we believe that because Ange knew what had happened to Stu, that phone call would have triggered her that this might get out in the Benigo advertiser that all this stuff had happened to a young apprentice in Benigo. And mm. she had already been sticking up for him at soccer, sticking up for her at school. She, <laughs> The teacher told me... It, um, report day one day that I had to speak to Angela today I had to tell her that Angela McGregor I did not see you pull that chair and throw it at that boy but <laughs> if I ever see it again <laughs> there's that cheek in her <laughs> apparently he had really laid crap on Stu and you know where's your dickhead brother in the loony bin and mm. stuff like that and she wasn't going to stand for it so. yeah so they were very very close you could <laughs> yeah, tell yeah yeah, yeah, yeah so I came home from an appointment that day and found Ange had taken her life. And and this was all in the space of a week, did you say, between the two passings? No, no, it was a month between their dying. Stuart died after Ange. Yep. So I, it was so hard to believe. I just thought it was an effigy. I thought you cannot possibly have done that. Mm. And um, rang the ambulance, rang the police. Had to ring my husband and he thought that it would be Stuart I was ringing to tell him about because by that stage we were both quite worried and he had made several attempts. Mm. So with sorry, sorry. with Angela, there was no pride, obviously you mentioned, you know, you, you're well aware of Stuart's issues, there was a, but there was no sort of inkling towards Angela. No. no, and I guess it's guesswork, but I think that we had worked out enough through her diaries, through talking to kids at school and stuff, that she was so worried about what would happen to Stu if if the whole story got out mm-hmm. in court and then it would get out in public. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think, um, I, I just, there's a few things I want to pack there. Well, first of all, um, Alana, the very first thing I want to say is one, it's the amount of bravery and inspiration and, um, knowing how tough it, it must have been for you to not only lose one kid but two kids in the space of a month. Yeah. Um, it's pretty hard, like it is pretty heartbreaking for me to even be able to talk to you about this and I know there will be a lot of listeners who will be in the same boat. So to be able to do, which we're going to go into shortly, what you've done um, and I guess not move on but learn to live with it, I guess yeah. you could say, um, is truly incredible. But what I was going to ask is, do you think if, in the case of Angela, um, do you think if she knew of the amount of support and assistance that there was out there, do you think it could have made a difference or do you think she was well aware of it? Um, no, I think, um, again, 20 years ago, there wasn't that much talk about mm-hmm. mental health issues. Stuart's mental health issues were so obvious they would be what you would call a case book. Mm-hmm. It was a decline from a normal happy young man to somebody who was not well at all and perhaps Ange looked at him and thought if that's what mental health is then I'm okay Mm -hmm. because she was seemingly coping she was still going out with her friends and I think for Ange it was a one-off decision that she 
reactive, whereas Stuart was more cellular. Stuart's pain was so in-depth. And then after Ange died, he just blamed himself. He thought it was his fault that she'd taken her life. So we just truly didn't believe that there would be a possibility that he could survive that. Mm -hmm. And you're right, over, there is, I'm sure you can testify this a lot more than I can, but over the space of 20 years, there has been a shift. You're a big part of that. Alana, and you've certainly got to take credit for a lot of that. Do you think there is um, things are moving in the right direction whether when it comes to suicide and mental health in particular? Definitely, yeah. Um, as a family, we didn't check and see if Stace or Andrew were okay. We were so worried and concerned for Stu that we didn't think to ask, are they okay, to see if what mm. was going on with him was affecting them. And we should have because it was affecting them. And Stu um, came home one day and we live in a quiet court and you could hear his car and she could tell by the way he was driving yep. what mood he was in. And this particular day we were sitting at the table and she said, uh-oh, here comes George. <laughs> what are you talking about, Ange? It's Stu's car. Mm. No, that's not our Stu. He died when all this shit happened. She calls him George. Wow. Yeah. Yep. So she knew his moods and... In hindsight, that's a real indication that she was suffering too. Mm. And had I known then what I know now, I'm sure that we would have been able to talk to Angela about stuff. And that getting to what you asked is so important for parents. They are fearful of asking that are you okay question because they don't want to hear no, I'm not. Or, And I think it's also the unknowing for them if, um, you know, if, someone was to turn back and then say, no, look, I'm not okay. And then uh, I guess the question, they would then go, well, shit, what do I do what now? Do I and that's now? where a lot of people, mm. I think that's where a lot of people do panic. It's not necessarily um, going out and asking, I think, are you okay, Dave, which is a well-known thing now. Mm. I think it's a really, really good thing. Um, but a lot of people don't necessarily have a lot of trouble with that. It's it's about those next steps. Yeah. Um, and something that I've recently said, Probably the best course that I've ever done to this day is the Applied Suicide Intervention Skills Training, which I did December last year. That's um, the assist. Yeah, the assist, yeah. And I still think to this day I've done many courses. Um, that's still the best and most practical mm -hmm. course that I've ever done, and it does address that. It addresses what you've got to do um, if those situations do arise, how to have that conversation and not be scared off by it because um, you, you really can't be. Um, you can be scared, but you have to suck it up and continue anyway. Yeah. Well, that's right. Absolutely, that's right. Um, and as a parent, you would be scared if your child said to you that, no, I'm not all right, I actually wished I was dead. Mm. And to hear that is terrifying, but you do have to suck it up. You have to be aware of what to say and do afterwards, mm. and that's either assist or safe talk. Yeah. Very good at teaching those things. Um, but even the basics, well, how about I take you to the doctor yeah. and we'll talk about this. Mm. And, you're, and the other thing that I quickly want to pull apart is to what we spoke about with um, with Angela, that there was probably not necessarily those warning signs that you saw with Stuart and so forth. But that's um, that's worth mentioning, I think, because sometimes that's just a reflection that we all need to start to think about. I think that it's a matter of checking in with everyone. Um, it's, it's one thing that I've had to learn that, you know, sometimes it might it might necessarily not necessarily be the ones that you you think do stand out or you think are struggling. It's those ones that are sort of going behind the scenes, right. putting on a little brave face. They might, yeah, you're right. They might be quiet and so forth. Yeah. Um, 
so I think, yeah, always asking those questions regardless um, of any situation I think is critical. People wear masks all the time to mask what is mm-hmm. going on behind. When Stuart became unwell, I never used to wear makeup and that was my mask. It was I would put on makeup and pretend the day was okay. Mm. Yeah, you're right. And you, you do hear it a lot. Um, you know, people with, with that experience, they say it's like living in two worlds that you do have to put on that mask and then, yeah, on and off and it's just a vicious yeah. cycle. And that was us living with it. There was also the mask that Stu would put on when he was out and about and try and be brave in front of his mates or mm. other people. And then he would come home and be exhausted from doing that and we would see the worst of it. There's a big, Alana, there's a big push um, in the direction of men's mental health um, and in particular a lot of the stereotypes and stigmas. It's something that I'm extremely passionate about due to my personal experience as well, which I've been um, which I'm certainly open about. Do you think uh, with Stuart in particular, obviously there was a lot of workplace bullying, but a lot of the times there is that stigma when you are a young male that, you know, you've got to be tougher, you've got to be strong, you gotta, you're the one who has to put on that brave face, especially you might have a younger sister or so forth. So you sometimes think, oh, I've got to be the tough one here. I can't tell my friends and family that I'm, I'm struggling, but it's, it's really not the case. Do you think there was an element of that with Stuart? Definitely, and especially with the bullying, he knew that everybody had gone through similar at that workplace or perhaps not as bad because we found out that some of the stuff was much worse than others had gone through. But he just said that he used to get called a pussy or a wuss or you you can't put up with this and that would have chipped away at his self-esteem and made him feel that he wasn't coping and it was his fault and... That was one of the biggest things with him. He said one day, I wish that bastard had broken my legs, then people could see what he's done to me. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it was all internal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I, I, the message I'm going to put out there for anyone listening to this, and it's something that you and I, we're going to continue to put out there, that is regardless if you're male, female, um, regardless of anything, you can ask for help. There is that help there. Uh, and you never you never do have to try and put on that brave face no. that we, we have spoken about. So I think for you, Alana, it's obviously it's been a tremendously difficult situation that you've gone through. And for me personally, I, I don't know how you um, have honestly been able to overcome a lot of this and be in the current position you are. And that's where I want to go into a little bit now, some of the work you're, you're doing, um, which is helping lives, so many other lives for the better, which is incredible that you've been able to to – look at your position and go, how can I help others? So do you want to talk a little bit about the work you're currently now doing? Yeah, it started slowly. I had been to a grief session for suicide survivors or families of, and my husband works for Armagard and he had a long service award that day. So I left the seminar early and joined him at the Lynn Fox. And um, I had to go to the loo so I was trying to push past this really large man around a pole (laughs) (laughs) and it was Lindsay Fox and he stopped me and hello young lady of course up for a chat when you really need to run yeah (laughs) Yeah, hello young lady and I wasn't young at the time (laughs) he said um do you work for me or are you the little woman oh I just uh, I wasn't happy about it (laughs) and I said no my husband works for you and he said oh have you been having a good weekend, been out shopping or anything? No, actually, I've been to a uh, suicide seminar 
and his face just dropped and he asked Tommy why. He grabbed me by the elbow and sort of dragged me away a bit and told me why, what's happened. And um, I told him and he said that he had lost a son to suicide, which at the time I didn't know that. And um, he said, what do you think caused it? And I told him in workplace bullying. And he offered to whatever you want, whatever you want to do to help with this situation, you've got it. And he organised and I made a DVD through Lynn Fox and that went out to different workplaces. It started off as a Lynn Fox educational tool and then other places asked for it. Mm -hmm. So from that I met some people who um, asked me to speak about bullying mm -hmm. and Bette Phillips, who is a dear friend of mine now, was a, um, a counsellor who had helped me in the early years through Stuart's and Angela's death and get around the um, the work part of it, the court cases that didn't go ahead and, you know, that sort of stuff, getting my head around what happens now. Sorry, I'm losing track here a little. No. Um, so Ben and I were asked to go to Geelong and speak about workplace bullying at a forum, which we did, and we were speaking to two women afterwards who had lost their sons to suicide and they had started the span walk in Geelong. Mm -hmm. And we were invited to come along to their span walk, which was Australia Day. Can you just, for everyone listening, just uh, the abbreviation of span, what yeah, does it stand for? Suicide Prevention Awareness Network. Mm -hmm. So that's um, 2010. In after we'd been to their first our first walk with them, we just talked about it and said, This is really great, we need to do stuff like this in Bendigo. Mm -hmm. So we went to Rod Case and Nicole Ferry, they mm -hmm. were both editor and deputy at the Bendigo Addy at the time, and they were so quick to come on board. We got a list of people who we wanted to be in the committee, and the Addy was just amazing. You're probably a bit young to remember it, but there was um front page on the first day of the walk and the Addy was like the age in those days, a really big paper, mm -hmm. and the whole front page. So the front page of the Addy was made up of the word suicide in butterflies, the amount of people who had died the previous year, and that's something unheard of. We didn't mm. put that word out there like that in 2011. So we held our first work with about 300 people and... We have a butterfly ceremony at the end of it where people can carry their butterfly with a person's name on it and at the end of it we had a, um, a harpist, which was mm -hmm. really lovely, and everybody places their butterfly on the net and, and it's a really nice, quiet time that everybody who's lost someone to suicide can realise that they're not alone. Yep. It's a place where they can have their grief and feel their feelings and not be judged. And I think as you said, that three three to 500 people, did you say is a general? Yeah, I think that's just a reflection of how many how many people this can affect. And you're right, that understanding that you are not alone. Um, there is other people out there in similar situations. To, so to create that awareness and yeah. what you've been able to do is incredible. Yeah, it's been an amazing journey to have so many people quickly come on board the SPAN committee, to have People, the first year I door knocked businesses to get some funds to get it up and going and people had never heard of SPAN, of course, and suicide wasn't something you spoke about. And mm. People were generous. Like One little lady sent me a card with $20 in it. That was mm. just 
it's those small yeah, things though yeah. that make the world a difference Definitely. and everything's got to start from everything's got to build up from there it's a foundation yeah, yeah. and we still are self-funded we rely on the sales of t-shirts and things like that from the year before to run the next year it's mm-hmm. not a big financial business it's mm-hmm. In 2019, we applied for a government funding, which was state government, and it was Pick My Project, and that was voted by your community, and Span was lucky enough to get $100,000, which was amazing. We just never believed that we would get that much, but the community voted for it, which tells you that... It's a true reflection. People really want to do stuff to help. Yep. Yep. So with that money, we did Safe Talk yep. seminars. Um, we held some at TAFEs. And they were open to the public. We held them at businesses in Bendigo. Um, and again, those Safe Talks, it's it's all about the prevention. It's all about the strategies. Teaching people how to recognise, how to ask and mm-hmm. what to say afterwards. Yep. Yeah. Yep, awesome. Yeah. Oh, so look, looking at that then from an out, outsider's point of view, how can, how can others get involved? So the walk... I know the walk the last two years due to COVID has been, have they gone ahead at all? No, No, we haven't. Last year I put the butterfly net up at the marketplace for anybody if they wanted to place a butterfly. Mm -hmm. Um, We are hoping to hold the walk this year on the 20th of March. 20th Um, of March, yep. So far it's looking like the COVID curve might go down. Mm -hmm. We've just got to wait and see what happens. Yeah, and again, with that, I guess once if, if a date is confirmed, Alana, I know it's something that I want to get involved in, and that there is others. So, and anyone can get involved, can they? Definitely. It's not something that just turn up on the day, and you can come along and walk. And if you have somebody that you've lost, yeah, butterflies will be available, or I'll put them up on the Facebook page so they can be printed off. And I know hearing from others um, who have actually, I, I haven't seen it firsthand. The big, large group of you making that walk through town. But I know I have, um, last week I got speaking to a friend um, and he goes, oh, I've actually seen that. I've actually seen that group on that day. And he said, just talking to him personally, he said the biggest thing that stood out to him was that he didn't know what it was about at the time. And then he discovered that it was about suicide. And then that's when you start to actually get more of an understanding. It's those that might just be passing by, driving by. And if you see a big group, you're inclined to find out what it's all about. And it's a, teal blue t-shirt so everybody walking along in this similar color and the police stopped the traffic at the um information center there near the shamrock Mm -hmm. and that's really important too it's like we want the traffic to stop and see what's going on here Mm. yeah it it truly truly is incredible well i know yeah i don't think anything needs to change from your perspective or your mindset or anything because it's, it's it's pretty incredible i'm excited to be working alongside you this year. Have you got any goals though moving forward, whether it's with SPAN or personally, anything like that, anything that you think needs to get out there for the next year or so? I think at the moment we seem to be on a pretty good roll, so I'm happy to continue the way we are. We're always looking at new ideas for the walk itself, but just getting the word out there that it is okay to ask for help, I think, and for families to... Ask your loved one and mm. make sure that you know what to say afterwards. So go on Google and find out what to say. Um, look into doing an assist or a safe talk or go to school and speak with the teachers or the welfare and 
just be proactive so it's a very powerful message yeah absolutely and a new i'll put i'm going to put you on the spot here lana it's a new little uh it's a new little segment that i'm going to chuck under the podcast so every single guest is going to be asked this question and it's it's the slogan that i go by health and happiness um when you when you think of those two words what springs to mind health um looking after yourself eating making sure that your mental health is in a state that you're happy enough that no matter how life goes and treats you that um things will always turn out okay that really is putting you on the spot i put you on the spot there but you've done well no you've done incredible but it's uh, again, I think it's just looking at things very, very open-mindedly about your mental health and all that. But your message there about, um, you know, reaching out, ask that question, understanding that, you know, it is okay to not be okay. There is support out there. Um, so from my point of view, I just want to say, first of all, keep up the incredible work. You're, you're a big inspiration of mine. Um, and I truly mean that. I've, I've, I'm getting you quite used to... Uh, pumping your tires up in a lot of my speeches now because I mean every second of it. Um, you are doing incredible things, Alana. So thank you very much for today. There's going to be a lot of people who are going to draw a lot of inspiration from this. And, um, you know, it's a discussion that needs to get out there. It really is such an important thing. Um, and the more conversations like this, certainly are going to be the better. So thanks, heaps. Yeah, thanks. And I've heard you say that too, that the more you talk about your stories, the more other people will open up about their stories. And it's, it's it is, it opens do. doors. Yeah, Absolutely. Definitely. Perfect.